0: This is a special Uncommon Sense podcast for 3 FM with Amy Mullins. This is an interview from the archives, and still timeless today. Given the Geelong Football Club's Premiership win this year, it was timely that I bring this one back. You'll hear from former Vice President of the Geelong Football Club, Bob Gartland, and Geelong Gallery Director, Jason Smith. They discuss the history of Aussie rules football and the second oldest continuous sporting organisation in the world, the Geelong Football Club. They explore the inextricable link between the Geelong Football Club and the city of Geelong and talk about Bob's massive historical Geelong Footy Club collection, which was on show in 2019 at the Geelong Gallery. I now have with me in the studio two people who are important to Geelong in different ways. One is part of the Geelong Football Club. He's the vice president of that club. His name is Bob Gartland and Jason Smith is the director of the Geelong Gallery. So I'm welcoming now into the studio Bob. Hi there, Bob. Good
1: morning, Amy. Thanks for having us in.
0: Great to have you. And Jason.
2: Hi, Amy. How are you?
0: I'm fantastic. How are you doing?
2: We're doing very well, thank you.
0: Thank you for making the trip up the highway.
2: It's always a pleasure and it's always a trip.
0: It is a trip, <laughs> isn't it? I feel like it just gets longer and longer all yeah. the time.
1: Yep. Yeah. yeah, there's always a breakdown on the Gate. Yes. And uh, now there's rubbish all over the road out this way, so... It was, a, it was an eventful trip. Well, yeah. the three of us know what
2: it's like, but it yeah. just makes you appreciate the beauty of the Bellarine,
0: Doesn't it? And the surf coast the even more. The only peninsula.
1: How lucky we are to live in Geelong.
0: We are. Mm. It's true. We wouldn't be biased at all. Not much. No. 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 We were just talking off air that, Jason, you are semi new to Geelong. I've been there
2: for I will have been I've been there for just over three and a half years. Yeah. And I I have been I've been the gallery director since April twenty sixteen. And uh, it was important that I lived in Geelong. My partner lives in North Fitzroy, but we just have this mobile life. I love living in Geelong and it is really very important if you're Leading or helping lead a cultural organisation in a great city like Geelong, and the gallery is a very old gallery. It's a hundred. It's coming up to its hundred and twenty-fifth birthday. Um, it's it's really important. You're part of the community, and people's attitude to you really does alter when they know that you're part of the community, you're living amongst them. And mm. I think you get a. Geelong's got a great art community, it's got a great cultural community as much as it's got a great sporting heritage. So, um, it, you know, it's wonderful to be part of a very dynamic city in that sense and, and you need to live there to be part of it fully.
0: That's so true. And it's a unique community and with its own set of challenges and beautiful qualities and it does encompass not just Geelong. I'm, often we think about Geelong as just that city, but it's really the whole region of yeah. Ballerina and the surf coast.
2: There's the greater Geelong yeah. area, I suppose. Um, you know, I, I think it's important too that, I mean, I sit on a few committees and there are people from other locations, Torquay, Aries, Anglesey, yeah. Colac... They, they see themselves as very distinct, and they are indeed. Mm, mm. Um, but Geelong is a, is a major metropolis unto itself, and even though it's only 70 clicks down the road from Melbourne, it is not Melbourne.
1: And the secret's out with Geelong. There's more people moving to Geelong from Melbourne than ever before. And, uh, yeah, I think m- most uh, of the people that are coming from Melbourne to Geelong are absolutely flabbergasted with the quality of life. We have there, yeah. and uh, it's certainly not a secret any longer because we've had the highest capital growth, I think, in the state in the last couple of years, so it's been been an extraordinary explosion for us.
0: It has. Um, we need another public <coughs> hospital because we're straining under just having one, really. But that's a whole other story. Mm. Um, Geelong is an interesting and place to live, and even when I was in high school, um, it was really still a small town, and... It's, although it has a significant prominence as a regional centre of Victoria, it, culturally it has been for most of my lifetime quite small and it's only now really expanding and becoming very cosmopolitan and you know there's really trendy cafes and you know before i used to only be able to get an espresso type coffee from the milk bar across the road from my high school (laughs) and now you can go to cafes anywhere in newtown yeah so you know it's changing all the time isn't it but was that geelong
1: high school amy
0: no i went to sacred heart
1: sacred heart i know that little cafe
0: do you Mm. It's a really great... On the camera. corner? Yeah, yeah. Mm. No, there were some really wonderful people there. I, I went to school with Peter Riccardi's cousin, so I heard all about you know football from every angle when I was growing up and uh, obviously my family influenced me, taking me to the football to see Gary Ablett Sr. Um, play at Cadinia Park. There's so many really important memories for many people in Geelong that associate great, fond moments in their lives with the Geelong Football Club. I mean, let's start out with this kind of inextricable connection between the Geelong Football Club and its kind of vital importance Mm. to a huge number of people in Geelong.
1: Historically, the stories have run parallel between the football club and the city. Uh, 1857 saw the creation of the longest railway in Australia and that was the Geelong to Melbourne Railway. And in those days, Geelong was the commercial centre of of Victoria and certainly the commercial centre of the Western District. And it was the gateway to the gold fields and the wool industry and so on. So it was known commercially as the pivot. And ultimately, our football team, when it was formed in July 18, 1859, at the Victoria Hotel on the corner of Mirable and Mallop Street in Geelong, we were known as... The Pivotonians. Mm. And uh, we were known as the Pivotonians all the way through till 1923 when um, when we became uh, the Black Cats and ultimately just the Cats. But that story of Geelong and Geelong's history and, as you say, this inextricable link between the club and the fortunes of the city running parallel over 160 years. So this year is our 160th birthday. Mm which is extraordinary. It's huge. We are the second oldest continuous sporting organisation in the world, second only to Melbourne Football Club. So our story not just runs parallel with the city story, but it also runs parallel to the story of football because the creator of football Mm. or the fellow known as the father of football, Tom Wills, was a Geelong person. And he lived at uh, uh, Point Henry, a long time before Alcoa yeah, got there. I was mm. say. And uh, interestingly, this year we've actually located the site of the Bellevue Homestead, and we're working with Alcoa and the City of Greater Geelong and the National Trust at the moment to actually put a plaque on that site where the Wills family lived. And um, so that's an important part, an integral part of the story of the Geelong Football Club in the city.
0: Mm. How did football and the Geelong Football Club evolve and a game or a code Mm. be created?
1: Um, The the Melbourne Football Club was created in 1858 and uh, Tom Wills had a role to play uh, in that and also his uh, cousin, Henry Colden Harrison, had a role to play with Hammersley and others uh, in the in the creation of, of the Melbourne Football Club. And uh, the year following, Geelong was created uh, on the back of an advertisement that was placed in the Geelong Advertiser on the 15th of July in 1859 by Alexander Mason. And uh, the the advertisement said, Admirers of football meet at the Victoria Hotel on Tuesday evening at 7.30pm signed a mason so they met at the victoria hotel and uh, a football club was formed and in that first year in 1859 they played five practice matches at the rear of the port arlington hotel (laughs) which was nowhere near port arlington Mm. it was actually out uh, near the eastern gardens uh, and uh, they played five practice matches there with which often went for two or three hours with no score being Scored and they they would often then just adjourn to the hotel for refreshments and uh, so Geelong Football Club adopted the Melbourne rules in 1859 and then it wouldn't wouldn't be till the following year in 1860 when they played their first match against Melbourne at the Argyle Ground in uh, Aberdeen Street in Geelong and that was the first match went for three hours and it was a scoreless draw let call it a draw, wow.
0: <laughs> Can you even call it a draw? <laughs>
2: but the call to admirers of football for before, you know, that led to the formation of the Geelong Football Club, Bob, is that because the people had seen what Melbourne had done and what it was,
1: how it was playing? Well, there was already this interest in football of a number of different varieties. As far back as 1840 in Geelong, they were playing probably six or seven different styles of football. There was rugby. There was a hybrid game that was a mix of rugby and the association game, which we later named soccer. There was the indigenous game and a whole range of different variations. So there was an interest in football of all different types. Mm. And what Mason's ad did was uh, focus that interest so that people from all different uh, persuasions came together to create this club with the interest in in the game of football. And when when you go through the early documentation and the records, there's this singular driving passion. And it was interesting, the letters to the editor in 1859 spoke about giving the teetotalers something to do. (laughs) That's you know, the
0: funniest part, is kicking. that it was a healthy outlet for their uptight yeah. obsessions. Well, there's
1: a fellow called um, <laughs> uh, Stitt Jenkins, and he w- led the teetotal body in Geelong in 1859. And he actually, back as early as May, suggested a football club to keep uh, all the teetotalers uh, busy. And uh, the opponents of the teetotalers thought it was a fantastic idea if they belted the living daylights out of each other on the football field oh, okay, because it gave them something else to do, yeah. rather than complain about people drinking alcohol. So, <laughs> Stit Jenkins then created the Recreation Society, which, you know, gave uh, people a whole lot of other interests other than football. But mm. that first that first year in 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 the life of the Geelong Football Club changed the city forever because from that moment Geelong started to become the center of the football world's focus because as early as 1860 and and certainly in the 1870s and the 1880s we won ni- uh, seven premierships in 9 years which hasn't been done and the best football was actually being played in Geelong not in melbourne and the two best football teams in 1879 were the geelong football club and Barwon. now Barwon was made up of a a a team of factory workers and the geelong football club was made up of public school boys from the geelong grammar and the geelong college so you had this bunch of thugs from the mills that's massive (laughs) Playing against these public... And they liked nothing more than belting the living daylights out of these schoolboys, yep. which they did. Nothing's changed.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. To
1: a point where Barwon actually got uh, deregistered as a club in the oh, early wow. 1880s. and uh, But Geelong continued <clears throat> on and won the premierships that they did. And, uh, yeah, it sort of cemented Geelong's place in football history.
0: Mm. When did the iconic uh, Navy and white hoop uniform come about? Was that right at the beginning or close to
1: uh, no, it's it's interesting because back in the 1870s, uh, prior to the blue and white hoops being part of our uh, DNA, uh, Geelong wore white knickerbockers or white trousers yep. with white shirts. And wow. our nickname was the flower sacks because we looked like <laughs> a bunch of flower sacks running around. So it And there's a lot of discussion about the the creation of the blue and white hoops, but within two years, Geelong College, Geelong Grammar, Barwon Rowing Club and Geelong Football Club, who were all integrated and related in different ways, all wore blue and white hoops. So um, that was in the late 1870s and um, we adopted the blue and white hooped jumper... And prior to that there'd also been a plain navy blue jumper uh, which in one of the film footages of a game in 1911 between Geelong and Ballarat which used to be played each Easter Monday and because the Ballarat jersey was a vertical stripe jersey and it was a bit similar to Geelong this is probably the first clash jersey that they've ever that's ever been used but Geelong wore again the plain navy blue and so The the Blue and White Hoops were adopted in the 1870s and then we were known then as the Pivotonians Mm. right up until 1923 when Sam Wells, the great cartoonist of the time, uh, suggested that Geelong's poor start to the 1923 season could be assisted by the obscure evoking of good luck of black cats. And he drew a cartoon to that effect... And then Geelong won the next week. And then they had another cartoon and Geelong won the next week. And then on the third week, Geelong adopted the cat as a mascot. And on the fourth week, an enterprising fellow produced some enamel button pins with uh, the black cat's Mm. Geelong's mascot. And sold them at the ground. So, this was probably the first instance of some illegal merchandising going yes, on. Unlicensed in 1923, <laughs> and the the That's leg funny. didn't uh, le- leg down. didn't get a clip.
0: <laughs> wow, things have really changed, haven't they?
1: It's interesting. Uh, I actually have one of those buttons. Yeah, in from extension. that actual game. Oh, really? Which is pretty rare. Yeah. Hmm.
0: I didn't know it was from the first instance of that. That's, about.
1: that's that's the first time the cat was uh, used or, or nominated or named as the, the mascot for, for Geelong Football Club. Yeah, right.
0: I'm interested in this idea of superstition, Because I know a lot of football fans are very superstitious. I'm extremely superstitious. (laughs) A lot of Geelong people are, especially when anyone mentions bye, everyone gets a little bit superstitious. But why was the black cat a sign of good luck?
1: Well, in those days, um, it could be good or bad luck, Uh depending on the way that you interpreted the cat, I suppose. Uh, And Wells was suggesting in his cartoon that this was the good luck that they needed so Geelong were sort of innocent bystanders and just let it happen. So the thing actually evolved organically, which is probably the best way that things like that and social badges should arrive. It should be owned by the people. And this is what actually happened in, in the end. It wasn't the club who, who, who forced the mascot on the people. It was actually the people who decided that they wanted to bring this cat as part of their story. So yeah. that's how that's how we became the cats
0: it's really phenomenal
1: but they were called
2: the black cats into the early 50s and then it was just the 53 or 52 or 53
1: oh well into the 50s mid 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 1950s they were still producing merchandise with the black cats on it interestingly i've got a trophy which we believe is probably the only trophy that we received in 1952 after winning the back to back Premierships in 51 and 52, and the is actually engraved to the black cats in 1952. Oh, really? So it was still mm. a pretty formal uh, expression, and it wasn't until perhaps later in the 1950s that they dropped the black and we just became the cats.
0: It's fascinating to see how the logos continue to evolve as well, because a lot of people have different attachments to different representations of the cat and i have my attachment but it's pretty predictable as being during my childhood what that logo was at the time which was that really kind of angry hissing cat from the 90s which Mm. is like so retro now when you look at it yeah i i want to bring it back but that's just me
1: it's interesting because um the football club was 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 born out of the cricket club, as Stit Jenkins actually said back then, that cricketers were being encased in uh, masses of superabundant flesh, <laughs> 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 which I think was code for stacking on a few kilograms Killers. over the winter. <laughs> and, uh, and he also felt that, and Wills, uh, when he wrote the letter to Bell's Life, mentioned that cricket grounds could be well served to be trampled upon. During the winter to make them better to play cricket on in the summer, so the football club was formed out of the out of the cricket club, and for many many years it was the Geelong Football and Cricket Club, and the logo represented the Geelong Cricket and Football Club, so GCFC. Mm-hmm. So they actually had a logo which was very similar to Carlton.
0: Oh right, okay. Where the,
1: where all the the letters. That, Uh, sit on top of Mm, each other
0: superimposed
1: and again that went right through until the 19 variation in the early 1950s so um it's a it's a it's an interesting story when you talk about the evolution of the logo uh because the very earliest logo was was that of the geelong cricket and football club
0: wow that's amazing bob you know so much about the geelong football club's history which is fantastic and it is a mark of the Attention and dedication that you have paid to this area for, I'm guessing, a lot of your life. You've collected so much, but I was astounded to hear that that's only just the tip of the iceberg of your own collection, Bob. So, what was this like an evolutionary process for you? Did you you didn't set out to create a massive, you know, time capsule of the Geelong Football Club, or how did this all come Um, about?
1: It's interesting. I went to a small school outside of Geelong and um the currency in the schoolyard was football cards so it's 1963 our school teacher was a fanatical geelong supporter <laughs> he got all the school together i think there was 20 of us and made the announcement one day that the greatest footballer in australia was coming to play for geelong and he told us about poly farmer and we all thought that Polly was a very unusual name for a footballer. And we'd never heard of Polly Farmer. And uh, so our teacher cut out his photograph and the newspaper cutting and stuck it by the back door. So when we all filed out at the end of each school day, as we walked past, and this is before he would played a game, we would walk past and say, Good night, Polly, and just tap the, f- the photograph on the way oh, out wow. the door. So when I was nine years old, I was playing marbles and winning football cards. And my goal was to win as many Polypharma cards as I could. (laughs) And uh, I managed to hang on to one of those for my whole life. And uh, that's probably my most treasured thing. Not my most valuable item, but Mm. my most treasured thing. I met Polly when I was nine and he came to a pie night at our little league club and you know shook my hand and his middle finger went up to my elbow his hands were so big and he was just a beautiful humble gentle champion and uh we all had the opportunity to ask him a question and he came over and shook my hand and and I couldn't get the words to a question out <laughs> I, I had three or four beauties to ask him but yeah. I just couldn't get the words out and um I again then met him a bit later in my life in my teens and um um my wife's father asked me to meet him in Geelong City and eight thirty on a Saturday morning and his father my wife's father pulled up and uh Polly Farmer was sitting in the Passenger seat with Billy Goggin sitting in the back, and I think it might have been Brother Steve from St Gabriel's Monastery in the back seat. And my father-in-law, my now father-in-law, then just wound the windows down and said, uh, "Jump in, son. We're off to the races." And uh, so for a couple of years, I used to run bets around, <laughs> and I wow. got to know all the bookmakers on a first-name basis, and um. We lost Polly this year, mm. and but the last few years, I was fortunate enough to fly over to Perth on a few occasions to visit him, and uh, he's been an important person in my life. And um, so that whole commencement, if you like, of my collecting started with my Polly Pharma card mm. in nineteen sixty three, and no, I didn't dream of building this uh, huge collection. It's something that's happened organically, and uh, uh, as As time goes on, there are things that become more important in the collection of data and uh, imaging. I've now collected 116,000 photographs, which I've now digitised and catalogued, dated and named. And uh, I've now collected 850 game films back to 1911. And these are at least as important as objects mm. because they, they tell a different history and a different story. And um, I've, I've also started collecting, uh, or have been collecting, audio. There's a couple of other things that are really uh, important. Mm. Uh, there's a 1900 album of football cards, which is the oldest set of football cards, certainly for the Geelong team. And I think it's the second oldest complete set of any team uh, of Australian football in the world. And there's also a letter from the then coach in 1952 who was Reg Hickey, one of the great Geelong names, that he wrote to uh, the father of Jeff Williams who'd just come up from Gippsland and won the best and fairest in his first year at the club as a young lad and in a premiership year. And Reg Hickey wrote this letter, um, and in the letter to Jeff Williams' father, he says, I have strived for quite a while now to get the type of chap that we have in our club. And whilst I'm proud of their football ability, I'm even more prouder of their conduct and their manliness on and off the field. And that goes straight to the values that we talk about today, about being good people. And Hickey was saying that being a good man and a good person was actually more important than being a good footballer back in 1952. And that goes to the whole value set of our football club and many football clubs today. Mm-hmm. Mm. And um, it's, it's, it's a great piece of social history from that time because Hickey was seen as a very hard taskmaster but there was this side to him, this very human, personal side to him where values and character first was the most important thing.
0: Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I was reading a history book about Geelong, and I think it was for the 150th maybe, and they were talking about how a lot of the coaches had a religious or Christian background and they were guided by you know, some strong morals or ideas of being good and a model citizen, I guess. I'm interested in the club culture, as you say, what the continuous features are of the Geelong Football Club, not just, you know, the hoops, like the visual and the obvious symbolic things that have continued, but what, to your mind, being the vice president of the club, has continued in terms of the spirit of the club in, in addition to what you've just mentioned?
1: Well, I think, I think Geelong Football Club's unique in lots of ways. During the Second World War, our whole team enlisted and went away to war and we went into recess for two years because uh, we had no players and uh, the, the army had taken our ground to use it for training and exercises uh, in Corio Oval out in the Eastern Gardens and when we came back in 1943 we applied to re-enter the competition and uh, uh, some clubs opposed our re-entry, Essendon in particular, uh, and Essendon's reasoning was that Geelong was the end of the earth it It cost too much money to get there with wow. petrol rationing and and uh so so there were clubs that were actually opposed to us coming back into the competition or you know uh, assuming or, or recommencing our our story and North Melbourne actually stood with us at the time and uh said that you know if if Geelong we're out we're out and uh, it was a great thing at the time to stand firm with us and that that whole notion of this rivalry between Geelong and Melbourne, we as a football club we often think that we're unique and we believe that we are and we're, our club is owned obviously by our members and we're there because of our members and that's been the case for 160 years that our football club has been so firmly entrenched as part of the community it's more than just a football club and football's more than just a game yeah it's particularly in Geelong you know our community center as part of our football club is extraordinary You know we've had over 120,000 visitors through our community centre, and then we run 16 community programs out of our football club, that are as part of the Geelong fabric of our society, Um, and it's extraordinary the support that emanates from the club and permeates through the whole of the Geelong community, and um, you know I'm proud of, and we're proud of who we are as a club, and and the fine young men that we've produced over a long period of time. And this goes right back to Joe Slater in the First World War. When you go to the exhibition, you'll see a 1912 team photograph with Joe Slater sitting in the front left. He went away. He was one of the greatest athletes in Australia at the time and went away to war and didn't come home, lost his life in France after re-entering the battle as a wounded man to bring people out. And um, and again, he epitomises the Geelong story. Yeah. And uh, there's a whole bunch of stories around Joe Slater and people like him. And um, there's been scallywags along the way as well. But um, yes, the Geelong story is firmly entrenched as part of Geelong City's DNA and I think that's what makes us unique. Mm. Um, and our value set changes. Yeah. But it's important and central to who we are.
0: mm What a perfect way to finish. Thank you so much, both of you. You've done such a wonder for Geelong, I think, in bringing what is an amazing collection to the rest of the area and also to Victoria, and I really appreciate your time and coming up today.
1: Thank you very much. Thanks, Amy. Thanks for having us. It's
0: my pleasure. I've been speaking with Geelong Football Club Vice President Bob Gartland and Geelong Gallery Director Jason Smith. I'm Amy Mullins, and you've been listening to the Uncommon Sense Podcast.